On this week's episode of Ride the Lightning, the Tesla unofficial podcast, Tesla does what it can to help customers evacuate ahead of Hurricane Irma. The Model 3 long-range battery appears to be even slightly better than advertised. Urban superchargers roll out in two major U.S. cities and more. What's happening, friends? Welcome to Ride the Lightning. It is the Tesla unofficial podcast, episode 111 for September 17th, 2017. Uh, This is, I guess, as close as we're going to get to my birthday as far as podcasts go. I am very grateful to be uh, spending time with my family for my birthday uh, this year. I will be on the New Jersey Shore, which I think I mentioned last week. Big family reunion. It's not on my account, but it's just uh, coincidence, but I'll take it. I'm uh, more than happy to be Spending my time out east, uh, out where I am originally from, out on the, the Jersey Shore boardwalk, getting slices of pizza the side of, size of my head, maybe a funnel cake, maybe visit an arcade, do a little miniature golf on the boardwalk there. It's uh, some, some good childhood memories that I should hopefully get to relive uh, with, uh, with the family, so that's going to be fun. This week, uh, there's a lot going on. You know, I said last week was a little bit of a slow Tesla news week. Well, Count on Tesla to, it doesn't stay quiet for long. Lots happening this week, though I do just want to real quick remind you again that uh, I had to record a little bit early because I've got to be on a plane uh, the, the normal time I would be recording. So recording a tad early. If I happen to miss anything, I do apologize. I will pick it up next week. I'm going to go ahead and just duck out, of, uh, just duck out and record uh, a little bit uh, while I'm on my trip next week because don't want you to miss the show. It is, it is important to me that it comes to you each and every week. So uh, anything I miss this week will get picked up next week. So let's get started, actually. Uh, sadly, I mean, this is a, you know, not, not the best topic of discussion, but it's uh, natural disasters. You know, the hurricanes have been on the minds of so many of us, all of us, really, over the last few weeks. And uh, it has affected the world of Tesla as well because uh, it's affected Tesla owners and, and uh, really, I mean, it affects everyone, whether you're wh- whoever you are. So a couple of calls this week uh, in response to David from New Orleans who'd brought this up on last week's show and then some real world events to tie into that. So I want to play you two quick calls, first from Peter in Boston and second from Mike in Charlottesville, and then we'll talk about those. So gentlemen, take it away. Hi, Ryan. This is Peter from Boston, Massachusetts, and thanks for pulling together the show each week. I've listened to the podcast weekly and wanted to quickly respond to David's call last week regarding disaster situations and EVs. I agree with you that I don't believe Tesla needs to substantially change in its current course and thinking with the build-out of a supercharged network. I would also argue I would rather have a Tesla than an ICE car in a disaster situation. Let me tell you why. If we take the last storm, Irma, as an example, if I owned a gas car, there'd be a good chance I couldn't even find an open gas station with fuel before the storm. Or if I did find one, I'd have a very long line and queuing up to try and get some gas for potentially hours and hours. Now, with an EV, as you know, um, we always are, have an equivalent full tank, or at least 90%, and we can easily push that to 100% in a few, few hours as needed. 
providing a range these days of you know upwards of 300 miles. So in that case, if I were in Miami, I could easily reach the northern part of the state in one hit. And given the heavy traffic load typically in a disaster, EVs do far better than gas-powered cars with range. Perhaps extending that to 350, even 400 miles. So if I absolutely had to stop... I have the ability to use one of 21 superchargers either being online already or being built by Tesla on the east side of Florida alone. And furthermore, I could even stop at one of the level two destination charges in a, in a pickle. Worst case, I could drive to a friend's house, plug into the 110 volt, you know, wait three or four hours and continue on. But bottom line is there are way, way more options for an EV to power up than a gas car in an emergency. I was also really pleased to note that Tesla enabled full range for their customers with a 60 kilowatt hour battery to give them a full use of 75 watts, uh, 75 kilowatts, sorry, to help them get out of harm's way. So one of the biggest issues I see, and you mentioned this in the show last week, is one of education. And we need to make sure we have a mental switch in how we charge and utilize power for electric vehicles versus gas. The only thing I'd probably ask Tesla in a surge situation like a disaster like Irma is they can implement a flow control system and program the cars to go to the right supercharger stall in queue and only take what they need as wave enforcement to get the next supercharger, and that will increase efficiencies uh, tenfold, probably. Thanks for your time. Hey, Ryan, it's Mike from Charlottesville again. So I just got done listening to David from New Orleans about uh, the hurricanes and how um, coastal cities could be impacted by you know future disasters and how Tesla needs to implement superchargers. Now, one thing that everyone's kind of forgetting in this is that most of the time when you're traveling out of these cities, when it's mass evacuations, you're going very, very slow and it's bumper to bumper traffic. So this is where I see the benefit of an electric car because you're going to be essentially hypermiling. So your vehicle is going to go far beyond the mileage that it's stated because you're going so slow. So whereas a, a standard gas vehicle can be burning up a lot of fuel while you're waiting in traffic, that's where the Tesla absolutely succeeds. And you'd also be able to use... a the autopilot features in bumper-to-bumper traffic, which would make that even easier for you to get out of a city. So I just wanted to see what you think about that, and thanks. Thank you for the call, guys. Well, to Peter, uh, I want to say that, that, yeah, I mean, I agree. That, that was my primary point last week as well, that, that the infrastructure is far more likely to be reliable for the superchargers, for electric vehicle charging, not even necessarily just the superchargers, just infrastructure, period, with electric, uh, than, than it is for gasoline. And as you noted, we see it every single time there's a natural disaster. Mile-long lines at the pump, sometimes literally mile-long lines at the pump, and or gas stations running out of fuel. I mean, we we see it. It's unfortunate. And it's interesting that both uh, you and Mike, who we're about to hear, or rather who we just heard heard from, pardon me, note that the uh, electric vehicle has superior efficiency in traffic conditions, because that certainly helps in a scenario like that. And, and to, to Mike's call then, uh, Mike, you make a great point as well. And I, I will say, Mike, I, we, we don't actually know the, that uh, what you laid out would be true in every scenario. I mean, hopefully it's something that we don't have to deal with again for a while. Uh, I know that's not, maybe it's naive of me to say, but I just want to try and be optimistic and not, you know, have, expect this to be, the new normal. Now, to that end, I wanted to get to what is, to me, certainly the highlight 
in, in a grim scenario, the highlight of the Tesla news this week. And that is that, as you may have heard, Tesla temporarily unlocked the software-locked battery packs for Florida Model S owners who were in the Irma-affected region so that those customers could more easily evacuate their cars. So we're talking about 60 kilowatt hour battery, uh, rather 60 owners who, you know, have software locked 75 packs. Those packs were all unlocked uh, this week. As Electrek notes in their story, quote, the company says that a Tesla owner in a mandatory evacuation zone required another 30 or so miles of range to, uh, to optimize his evacuation route in the traffic, and that customer reached out to Tesla, who agreed to a temporary access to the 75 kilowatt hours of energy in the battery pack and upgraded his cost between $4,500 and $9,000, depending on the model and time of upgrade. Considering the 15 kilowatt hours, which is 30 to 40 additional miles, could also be useful to other owners affected by Irma, Tesla decided to also temporarily unlock other vehicles with the same software lock battery packs in the region. I don't want to get too fanboyish here, but I suspect that many of you would agree with me, in my opinion here, that most other major corporations nowadays wouldn't do something like this. You know, I don't want to make light of a grim situation, but but uh, you know that thought occurred to me, and I I stand by the thought. I mean, speaking personally, personally, you may very well disagree. I expect big companies to do the profitable thing these days. I'm not saying they've always they've that they're all bad or that that it's always been this way, and that there was some grand old age of of companies with integrity. I'm not saying that at all, but. I do think that the normal expectation these days, the, the normal behavior these days for a, for a big corporation is to take the profitable route, not necessarily the morally correct or morally right route. Uh, I mean, Tesla, though, has a, a history. That, this is why, one reason I'm a fan of the company, honestly. I've said it before. Tesla has a history of doing the right thing. And this is just the, the latest example of that. I mean, I, my presumption, well, how I think this probably went is that after the first Florida 60 kilowatt hour owner reached out, as Electrek noted, my guess is that this made it all the way up to Elon. And my guess is that Elon probably didn't even hesitate before saying, do it. And kudos to Tesla on this. Though, uh, I have to say, I tweeted this story out because I just thought it was a good human interest story of like, hey, here's a company doing the right thing, trying to help its customers in a, in a natural disaster scenario. So I just re- I retweeted Electrek's story on this. And what I certainly did not expect were a rash of negative replies. And as I dug into them, it turns out that people sort of almost backing up the point I was, or backing up my opinion from earlier, turns out that people basically assumed that Tesla was greedily holding something back from people because these people had not read the story. So that they just saw the headline 
and saw, oh, Tesla unlocks full battery capacity for those affected by Irma to get out. And people didn't read the story and they thought, oh, Tesla, the, it's just, they're, they're artificially locking their cars. This is terrible. They're a horrible corporation. I'll never buy a Tesla. And I had to reply to people and say, hey, just go ahead and <laughs> read the link. I think you'll find that it's actually quite the opposite. So, I mean, to be fair, I suppose, I suppose it's not fair to expect non-Tesla fans, non-Tesla owners. I mean, everyone listening to this podcast knows what the, the software-locked 75-kilowatt-hour battery is and is all about and why, why it exists and why it's set up that way. But uh, I, I suppose, yeah, I, I, I was asking a bit too much to, for non-Tesla superfans to know why they exist. But, but again, to me, that, that instant hot take reaction uh, just gives you an idea of how the general public views big companies. And it's, it's unfortunate. But, you know, they, these, a lot of folks, I think, expect them to be taking the greediest routes possible by default. So um, it does show you that I guess Tesla's got a, a long way to go in the education, consumer education department. Uh, and, I mean, I, I, think, I think anybody that buys a software locked pack, which you can't now. There aren't any uh, on any of the the cars, any of the three cars. So it's sort of a moot point for now, but it's not to say it won't come back again in the future. So you know, it's on Tesla to continue to be uh, to 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 push forward on consumer education to try and to educate folks. I mean, you know, you, it's there's only so much you can do, right? If somebody doesn't even can't even be bothered to click a link to a story that someone's tweeted out and is just reacting to the headline they see in front of them. Well, there's only so much you can do to combat that. But in any case, uh, I just want to salute Tesla here. Uh, again, they've, they've by and large done the right thing, in my opinion, uh, most of the time in cases like this. And I, I just think it's wonderful that they did that. And I uh, you know, did not hear of any significant issues on the forums from people that were affected by Irma. So uh, I'm glad that folks were able to take advantage of the extra range provided and and help them get away from the path of the hurricane. Next up this week, switching back to a a more universally pleasant topic, the Model 3 long-range battery appears to be ever so slightly better than advertised. Jason Calacanis, he is an early Tesla investor who's a fairly high-profile guy in the investor world. He's an angel investor in Silicon Valley. He has one of the earliest Model 3s. He's been on television talking. He's the guy, uh, I don't think I did the story because, you know, it was, it was you know, just an opinion and it wasn't necessarily news, but he went on uh, CNBC or one of these shows a few weeks ago, talking about uh, after he'd gotten his Model 3, how the car was, how it was the, drove like a Porsche for the price of a Prius, and it was all great, and and I think it's wonderful that Jason's saying that. Of course, you have to keep in mind, too, he is an investor, a significant investor in the company, so he has a vested financial interest in seeing the company do well, and that's not to say he's wrong or that I don't believe him. I, I certainly... Th- he think he's probably genuine, but again, you know, you just have to consider consider where where uh, what his position is. But in any case, 
uh, he has tweeted out some pictures of his red Model 3 here and there. And what is newsworthy about, uh, about Jason's post regarding the Model 3 is that he took a picture that shows the UI of the car with the battery fully charged, 100% charged. And instead of the 310 miles that Tesla has advertised, the car shows 314. So yes, it's literally only 1%, but hey, more is better. And I know that you know, you're gonna get a little bit of degradation as well, uh, even in that first year or two. So that probably will tick down to 310, but that's great to see that it's, that they're you know, ever so slightly over delivering on that so that even after you get your, your battery kind of settles in and you get, you know, you get a little bit of just that first hit of degradation that does happen to all lithium ion batteries, then you're still going to be at the 310 that Tesla advertised. So I thought that was absolutely fantastic and wanted to pass that along. Next up this week, Tesla's urban supercharger rollout has officially begun in Boston and Chicago. These are 72 kilowatt hour chargers that have a physically smaller footprint than the superchargers that we all know now. In a statement, Tesla said, quote, superchargers in urban areas have a new post design that occupies less space and is easier to install, making them ideal for dense, highly populated areas. To increase efficiency and support a high volume of cars, these superchargers have a new architecture that delivers a rapid 72 kilowatt hours of dedicated power to each car. This means charging speeds are unaffected by Tesla vehicles plugging into adjacent superchargers and results in consistent charging times around 45 to 50 minutes for most drivers. Uh, they continue, supercharger stations in urban areas will be installed in convenient locations, including supermarkets, shopping centers, and downtown districts, so it's easy for customers to charge their car in the time it takes to grocery shop or run errands. Uh, it is fantastic to see this getting started, particularly with the timing. Right here is the Model 3 has ever so slightly begun to launch, and we find ourselves at the very beginning of the S-curve of production. Now, that lower charging speed, you could say it's mildly annoying, but as Tesla notes, you're going to be in there, you're doing your shopping anyway, so not a huge deal. Uh, and, and it makes sense. The nice part is uh, that the, the lower maximum charging speed is just that, a maximum. So as Tesla noted, you are getting a consistent charging speed, which you aren't guaranteed at the rural superchargers that, uh, that can be affected, your charging speed can be affected if someone is charging right next to you uh, on that, on that the, B, the B side, basically, of that supercharger. And uh, the cars, by the way, if you're curious, can take up to 120 kilowatts max. So 72 is still you know, well on its way to giving you a, a good a good fire hose worth of electrons into your car. Now, I did want to give the other side of this story as well, because Mike from New Hampshire wrote in, uh, and he had, again, a, a bit of information here that is, that is relevant to the conversation. He says, Ryan, I'm sure you're going to rave about how great it is that Elon added urban superchargers to downtown Boston. I was excited too, but then I thought, Downtown Boston, parking's super expensive. How is this going to work? 
So I call the Tesla showroom at the Prudential in Boston, where the superchargers are, and find out, yes, you do have to pay to get into the parking lot to get to the chargers. And that rate is $12 an hour. You can't even uh, fill up a 75D in an hour at the reduced rate the urban chargers deliver in that time. So you're probably going to pay $24 to get 75 kilowatt hours worth of electricity, or about twice the going rate. This is hardly the fix to getting urban charging to the masses. Mike, thank you for your letter. Uh, So you bring up a good point here. I would add, you're probably not going to be rolling in on empty particularly often, uh, necessitating that extra, that second hour. So there is that to consider. Now you're 100% correct. You you do have to keep in mind that, okay, yes, Mike, you make a great point. You've got to pay to even get in. I guess the the way Tesla probably looks at it, and it's up to you whether or not you want to agree or or you want to let them off the hook or or say that uh, you have a problem with it, is that, well, if you're going shopping here, you're paying anyway to park. So that's sort of a built-in cost and that the supercharger is still, that urban supercharger is still a a net benefit. Because, yeah, I mean, yes, you could easily make the argument that, well, Tesla could have chosen to put those urban superchargers in a place where there's free parking or validated parking or something like that, where there just is no added cost, where you can go ahead, even if you're not planning to shop there, you can go in uh, and and get a charge if you happen to need one. Now, I guess the whole point of this is to try and maximize the convenience so that you're charging while you are running errands, while you are shopping. But I do think Mike makes a good point about this particular supercharger that, hey, it's uh, having to pay to even get to the charger is a bit unfortunate. So hopefully as Tesla rolls these out, I mean, I'm sure some of them are going to be in pay garages and some of them are not. Uh, San Francisco is certainly similar. You really can't get into a garage, a parking structure, uh, without paying to park. But there are plenty of other places I mean, if you look at the San Francisco supercharger map, I know, you know, most of you don't know the city necessarily because you don't live here, but there are a number of coming soon superchargers listed in San Francisco, and one of them's in the financial district downtown where there, where odds are it will be in a pay-to-access place. But then another one is in the Mission District where it's possible, uh, if you know the Mission, it may just be sort of a parking lot or area where because there aren't a lot of parking garages that you have to pay to get into in the mission. So I I think it's just going to vary here and there, but it is definitely worth bringing that up. And Mike, I thank you for your letter on that. But it's good to see the program in general, just looking at it from a a 10,000-foot view. It's good to see this happening, and hopefully, uh, you know, more and more cities should be coming online in in the upcoming weeks and months. Moving along this week, last week I told you that I thought I might have a date to share this episode for the Tesla semi-truck unveiling. And, well, thank you, Elon Musk. You made me look smart by providing just that. But Elon didn't just tweet a date. He threw a little hype on the fire for you as well. Elon tweeting, quote, Tesla semi-truck unveil and test ride, tentatively scheduled for October 26th in Hawthorne. Worth seeing this beast in person It's unreal, end quote. 
I, I tell you, I had also suspected, based in, on past history, that the unveiling would be in Hawthorne, and indeed it is. And more importantly, test rides. That's a bit of a pleasant surprise to me because, I mean, I know that the Tesla has done test rides at other unveilings, but I guess since it's a semi-truck, I wasn't expecting it to happen here. So uh, the fact that they're giving test rides is pretty awesome. I'll tell you, I've never ridden in a semi-truck before. So a test test ride would be kind of neat. Just whether the thing is electric or not, just getting to ride in a a semi would be kind of fun. But uh, yeah, although... If I did, I wouldn't even have anything to compare it to. I wouldn't be able to compare it to a traditional gas-powered semi-truck because I've never been in one. But in any case, uh, I don't expect, I think I might have mentioned this last week, I don't expect to be able to attend this one. Not only, even if I were to be invited, it's down in LA. Uh, the end of October is the, that is the, the heart of our busy season uh, at work, as far as the video game industry is concerned, all the all the biggest games are hitting at about that time. So I doubt I'm going to be able to make it down for this. So I might need to bring in like a, a ride the lightning correspondent, <laughs> a reporter on location to help cover this one. And in fact, I have just such a person in mind. I'm going to have to reach out to that person and see if they're available. But in any case, I, I can't wait to see what this thing is. Elon is now guilty of, of hyping it up a good bit here. This is not the first time he's hyped up the semi, so uh, we'll see if it can live up to Elon's considerable hype. And, and by the way, we'll see if there's anything else at this event. You remember a big deal was made on certainly on my podcast as well as in other media outlets about, about their, the whole Elon comment of, well, you should really come to the event. And that led to speculation by me and by a lot of you folks out there that, you know, would the, uh, would the next-gen Roadster be unveiled there, which has uh, a little more fuel to that fire being added to it by the fact that the referral program has now, has now unofficially uh, made the next-gen Roadster public. You know, it's unofficially announced the next-gen Roadster. So we shall see if a, if a supercar is going to come off the back of that thing out of a trailer, Knight Rider style, on October 26th in Hawthorne. couple of more stories. In fact, oh gosh, wow, still four more stories this week. It is a busy one. And uh, we'll kick it off with this one. Brand new Teslas, including the growing handful of Model 3s being delivered to employees and those folks with good connections. They are all currently in a calibration period for their revised version of Autopilot, the so-called Hardware 2.5. And as such, they do not currently have automatic emergency braking enabled while their sensors are uh, calibrated on a fleet-wide level. This is being done to avoid, presumably to avoid any false positives. In other words, having the car automatically emergency brake in a situation where it doesn't need to happen because that could obviously be very dangerous. Tesla issued a statement here saying, quote, we recently introduced some minor hardware changes to the autopilot system in new cars, and we are now in the process of robustly validating the new hardware using real-world driving data. During that process, automatic emergency braking will temporarily be inactive and will instead be in shadow mode, which means it will register how the feature would perform if it were activated without taking any action. 
this temporary calibration period is standard Tesla protocol and is done out of an abundance of caution, end quote. Uh, this should be long, long over with by the time any of us get our Model 3s, but if you've taken delivery of a brand new Model S or X uh, very recently, or if you're about to, you should be aware of this. That's why I wanted to go ahead and mention it. The National Transportation Safety Board, which is a little bit better known maybe by the acronym uh, NTSB, following their investigation now of the Joshua Brown death, uh, you remember the autopilot death last year, the NTSB has ruled that autopilot played a part in Joshua Brown's death in May of last year. They said, quote, the Tesla autopilot system functioned as designed but was not meant to be used on the road type the crash occurred on. They furthermore added that, quote, operational limitations in the Tesla Model S played a, quote, major role. And that's a bit vague to me because playing a major role and being responsible are not the same thing. Now, Joshua Brown's parents issued this statement. We heard numerous times that the car killed our son. That is simply not the case. There was a small window of time when neither Joshua nor the Tesla features noticed the trunk, uh, pardon me, the truck making the left-hand turn in front of the car. People die every day in car accidents. Many of those are caused by lack of attention or inability to see the danger. Joshua believed, and our family continues to believe, that the new technology going into cars and the move to autonomous driving has already saved many lives. Change always comes with risks, and zero tolerance for deaths would totally stop innovation and improvements, end quote. I think an important point to take away from this is that Joshua's death, while tragic, has led to improvements in the system. And the system, uh, even aside from that, is much better than it was in May of 2016. Now, the primary change as a direct result of Joshua Brown's death, uh, Elon has said this, was the move, they redid the system and changed it to be a primarily radar-based system rather than a primarily camera-based system. And Elon had noted on a, on a call at one point that, that had, had that change been in place prior to uh, Joshua Brown's accident, that that most likely would have prevented his accident from occurring. Uh, now, as, as the family of Joshua Brown notes, no technology is perfect. But it's, it's already been established as well by the, the very same U.S. government that uh, issued this report that autopilot as it exists today and existed then is safer than a human driver. Remember, I did that story a good, what, few months ago maybe? Now, it's not my place at all to tell the Brown family that, they, that, that they're, the way they feel about this is the right way or the wrong way or any other way. But I applaud them for taking uh, what clearly seems to be a, a measured approach to this and for recognizing that Tesla is helping pave a way forward for safer transportation. So, um, so from sort of a legal official way and you know that that I believe that does close the book on the 
on, on that accident. So, uh, you know, hopefully the, the Brown family can continue to try and move their lives forward in the, in the, in the wake of the loss of, uh, of Joshua. Next up this week, another dealership group is upset with Tesla regarding the method by which Tesla sells its cars. Tell me if you've heard this one before, except this one's a bit different and it's in Tesla's home state of California, of all places, what has traditionally been a very safe haven for Tesla. The California New Car Dealers uh, Group, their problem is specifically with Tesla's referral program. This uh, news write-up comes via Tesla Roddy. The practice that they have a problem with, known as, quote, bird-dogging, caused the CNCD to expand already filed complaints. The association filed one in September of 2013 and again in 20, August of 2015, according to Automotive News. The DMV went as far as issuing a warning to Tesla in September of 2015, which uh, I had not heard of. So the bird dogging thing is referring to uh, people, customers selling cars without a, a, a dealer license, you know, without a license to sell a vehicle. Tesla responded saying, quote, This is just another example of car dealers trying to interfere with us and our customers. The regulations prohibit rogue car salespeople. Does anyone seriously think our customers are salespeople that the public needs to be protected from? God, see, I love it when they just, they cut the BS and they don't, they don't like put any spin on it or try to fluff it up at all that they just, they just straight up tell it like it is. That's that's the Tesla that I love. I, I, I there, again, not a lot of companies really issue statements like that. I love it. But what I wanted to say here was I didn't know about any of these complaints. So it's it's interesting to learn about this. I and it makes me wonder: is that why that initial complaint? Maybe is that why Tesla? You remember in the very beginning of the referral program? The, in fact, the very beginning that the referrer got a $1,000 credit as well, that people were just racking up huge amounts of money. Now, they couldn't use them on cars, but they could use them on like accessories, you know, wheels and uh, I think tires and any, any accessory for the car, you know, car covers, uh, home high-power wall connectors, that kind of thing. So I wonder if that initial complaint is why Tesla stopped doing the thousand dollar credit for the referrer and replaced it with prizes for the refers instead. Uh, anyway, I, I can't see this complaint possibly holding up in court if it were even to get that far, because as Tesla themselves very, very plainly notes, nobody's going to confuse a Tesla owner for a salesperson. And by the way, if Tesla is violating something here, so then by that logic, is anyone referring a friend to Amazon Prime or to countless other services that have referral bonuses? Blue Apron, that kind of thing, you know? So we'll see if anything ever comes of that. Finally this week, best wishes go out to Tesla Vice President of Business Development, Darmid O'Connell, who is leaving the company after 11 years on the job. Tesla issuing a statement saying... For more than 11 years, Darmid has played an important role in helping Tesla grow from a small startup to a company with a presence around the world. 
He started with Tesla before the rollout of Roadster, and now that we've reached the launch of Model 3, he felt the time was right to move on and spend more time with his family. We wish him the best. Dharma's team and responsibilities will now roll up to John McNeil, Tesla's president of global sales and service. I would have to think that uh, Mr. O'Connell probably had some stock options that vested once that first Model 3 was delivered back on July 28th. And since he's such a long-time employee going back to well before the company went public, he probably has a lot of shares that are now worth a lot of money. And after 11 years of what are no doubt very long hours and a lot of hard work and Tesla growing from an absolute improbability Elon has noted it many times. The Tesla probably in most universes fails, uh, but they succeeded. And so, you know, any windfall, both financially and free time wise, that that uh, Dharma O'Connell has coming from this it, are well deserved. So uh, best wishes to him and uh, we'll, and Mr. McNeil, who we know. We know John McNeil. He seems to be a pretty stand-up guy as well from what we've seen and heard of him. He inherits the responsibility. So that's it for the busy Tesla News Week. I'll come right back with the Ride the Lightning Hotline right after this. Welcome to the Ride the Lightning Hotline, the part of the show where you get to participate. Call in with your questions, comments, discussion topics for the world of Tesla. We'll talk about them. Uh, I do want to mention real quick, too, I got a number of calls after the uh, semi-truck reveal was unveiled via that Elon tweet that I mentioned earlier. And I just uh, did not have time to get to them to listen to them in time for this show. So, uh, they'll fortunately, the event's not for another month, <laughs> about five weeks. So I'll get to those next week. So if you called in uh, very late in the week here, uh, I will get to that on next week's show. So again, if you've got a question, comment, or discussion topic for the podcast, you can call in. Either use the voice memo recording program on your smartphone and email me the file to teslapodcast at gmail.com. Or you can use the very simple to use Ride the Lightning hotline which is a toll-free number, 1-888-989-8752. Again, that's 1-888-989-TSLA. And if you know someone special with an upcoming birthday, anniversary, graduation, or some other special occasion, you can give them a unique gift of recorded voices from friends and family telling them why they're special. The recordings can be podcasted or put onto a keepsake. Visit lifeonrecord.com to learn more. Let's start with Len in San Jose, who calls in about the semi-truck. Let's talk to Len. Go ahead. Hi, Ryan. This is Len, first-time caller from Santa Fe, California. First of all, thank you for the great show. I just want to leave a comment about the semi-truck. Um, one way to extend the range of the truck is that other than being battery on the uh, semi-truck, the trailer is a great place to extend the battery, and you can put a lot of battery packs on this. And also, uh, I guess you can put a solar panel on top of the uh, trailer. So that's my comment. Thank you. Bye. Welcome to the show, Len. Uh, you know, we've talked about this before, and you're right. I could see Tesla customizing the trailers to have uh, battery packs on the bottom. But the thing is, I, as I've noted before, the one problem with that that I see could be the weight. 
you know, the semi-trucks may already be carrying a very, very heavy payload and further burdening the semi with another gigantic battery pack to have to tow behind it could end up being a net negative. Again, I'm not an engineer. I don't <laughs> pretend to have the answers here, but I would think there's only so much, you know, there's a, there's a tipping point where that weight situation becomes uh, untenable. Also, the one other thing with this is that to the, to the best of my knowledge, semi-truck trailers are pretty universal. You know, any one can be hooked up to any truck. So if Tesla semis need their own proprietary trailers, that might complicate things in a way that the trucking industry, meaning the trucking company's clients, uh, might not like. So I don't know quite how that's going to go. I'm, I'm very curious to see what Tesla unveils next month. Got one more call about the, uh, actually two more calls about the semi. People, it was on, it was the uh, topic du jour this week on a lot of people's minds. Here's Marcus in North Carolina uh, calling in with regard to the drivers and autonomy and uh, how the sort of logistics of that might work. So Marcus, you're on the air. Hey Ryan, this is Marcus from North Carolina. With Tesla revealing the semi-truck soon, I've been thinking a lot about the batteries. Now the Department of Transportation limits the amount of time that a driver can be on the road. I believe it's 10 to 11 hours and must rest for at least 8 hours afterwards. If that is the case, then they wouldn't need to swap batteries. The only thing they would need to do is charge during their rest. So the battery would only need to take them roughly 10 or 11 hours so they can charge it for the next 8 just want to hear your thoughts. Thanks. Bye. Hey, Marcus. I looked this up after your call, and it turns out it's a bit more complicated. Uh, they lay out a number of different scenarios that I don't, I don't want to bog down the show with, but you're generally on point. The thing is, though, they're just not going to be able to go for ten, the trucks, mean, meaning uh, the trucks are not going to be able to go for 10 hours straight on a single charge. I just don't see any circumstance on which that's going to happen. I mean, because the reason is because it's impossible in any electric vehicle, uh, let alone a Class 8 semi-truck. Unless, of course, you're Casey Spencer going for a world record traveling at a, at a very precision-calculated route at a steady 25 miles per hour. But, you know, the, the point is you're going to have to charge during that time. So it'll, be need, it'll need to be quick so that you can maximize that driving time. Uh, that the federal law uh, allows you to have before that you're, before you're required to rest. So that's why the battery swap stations, to me, still make the most sense for this vehicle. So in other, either way, we should know more in about five weeks' time. One more semi-truck call from Matt in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Uh, he's uh, got some thoughts on the cost of operations and how Tesla has has uh, discussed how much cheaper that this thing might be to operate. So, Matt, take it away. Hey, Ryan, this is Matt from Bowling Green, Kentucky. Uh, I was calling to talk about the semis um, that Tesla's working on. I'm really excited about the potential of seeing semis um, that are a lot different, or what I presume to be a lot different looking than than the current ones you see on the road today. Um, I commute 45 minutes each way uh, to work, and 
most of that is interstate and so I see a lot of trucks and um, you know I, I just think it'd be really cool to see um, electric uh, semis driving on the road and um, so I'm, I'm really excited about that and so whenever I hear news about the semi I get kind of excited uh, but you know something else to think about yes Tesla is going to disrupt the trucking industry and and if those numbers are correct about um, it costing 70% less to operate um, these vehicles that, that's got to be awesome for these trucking companies and hopefully that those savings get passed down to um, other companies that are using them for distribution and then maybe even that savings can get passed down to the consumer so shipping and handling doesn't cost as much as it does now which you know some debate that it's too much some say you know it's fine but um you know it's just something to think about and hopefully that i mean if you think about how much is shipped um every day and and if we can cut that cost down 70 percent um and then not even to mention the emissions that are given off um i think that'd be a, a a great great thing so anyway keep up the great work um look forward to every episode bye i hadn't thought about the operating cost savings there matt so thanks for bringing it up i agree with you but i'd like to see the truck drivers get a slice of that too i know you weren't suggesting that they shouldn't or wouldn't get anything but uh since you didn't mention it i just wanted to to bring it up because you know if there's money to be saved with a tesla semi truck drivers have a very difficult job that requires a lot of focus, mental toughness, and quite frankly, physical toughness as well to be able to sit for such long stretches of time without getting up. Uh, you know, heck, if you if you work a desk job at an office, the ergonomically, you're supposed to get up and move around like every hour. When you're on a plane, they tell you to get up and stretch your legs every every hour or so. So there is a physical toughness not only with the sitting, but also staying awake and driving safely in a very, very large vehicle for a, for a long duration of time. But I agree with you in your overall point, though, and that's hopefully more people will benefit from the operating cost savings on a Tesla Semi than just the actual companies that are paying for that shipping. Next up, uh, changing topics. Got a couple more calls here. Pete from Dallas wanted to comment on his service experience. That's been a a big topic lately. Tesla themselves saying, hey, we're going to put P100Ds uh, as all the service loaner vehicles. We want to, we want to, you know, really step up our game on service. Pete calling in with his experience down in Dallas. Go ahead, Pete. Hey, Ryan, it's Pete from Dallas. Um, I just wanted to comment on the service experience. Um, You know, I'm a huge Tesla fan, but um, sometimes um, perception and reality are a little different. So my car went in for a service, um, a 2016 Model S, a couple of months ago. Um, they managed to scratch a piece of interior trim and not fix something else. So it went back in a couple of weeks ago. Um, both times I did not get a, a Tesla loaner. First time was a Chrysler 300. Second time was a Hyundai Accent, um, which, um, you know, pretty small car, not really comparable to Model S in, in any way, shape or form. Um, so I really just wanted to point out that um, I know that uh, two or three investor calls ago, Elon 
kind of committed or even promised that um, when you take your car in for a service, you'll get something as good or better. Um, that's clearly not the case, at least at the Dallas Service Center. So I'll be interested to hear if that's, um, you know, whether that's typical countrywide or even worldwide, or whether that's a local issue. Um, I know when I mentioned it to one of the service managers, he said that they were supposed to get 10 Model S's in um, for loaners, and eight of those were sold before they even arrived. So, you know, something's going on, obviously. But, um, you know, the service experience, particularly when your car goes back in for a problem that they caused, um, I think you should get some sort of priority, but that's definitely not the case. Anyway, keep up the good work. Cheers. Bye. I completely agree with you, Pete. You should have been taken better care of particularly when it was Tesla who made the problem worse. I mean, obviously it was an accident, but nevertheless, they should have made a better effort to rectify that, I think. So, I mean, I, I hope your situa- situation rather was a, was a relatively uncommon one, and I believe it is because if it wasn't, you can bet that the fudsters would be spreading doom and gloom all over various media outlets uh, that, oh, Tesla can't you know, keep these cars serviced and they do a terrible job. So it sounds like your situation's over with now, but if I were you, I would, what I would do, I would calmly and respectfully reach out to John McNeil, either on Twitter, he's on there, or on the Tesla Motors Club forums. You could private message him on there and, you know, explain your situation and your disappointment with how it was handled. And, you know, I'm I'm not suggesting that John and the Tesla team could or, or even should do anything about it retroactively like this, but it'll help them address any underlying fundamental issues at that particular service uh, center. And I'll bet, I would be willing to bet, that it'll be seen to that you're taken better care of next time. Let's finish up with Matt in Fort Worth, Texas, a fellow Texan here, who uh, wants to talk about the Model 3 charging port and how it differs from the S and X charging port. So Matt, you're on the air. Hi, Ryan. This is Matt in Fort Worth, Texas. Fantastic podcast. Thank you so much for your efforts. Question regarding the Model 3 charge port. Notice that in the Model S and the Model X, it's got that nice circular lit up area where the charger is inserted into. And the Model 3, this is lacking. It's got that small Tesla symbol to the left that's lit up. Uh, Tesla went ahead and invested in putting in automated charge ports that open, uh, but they didn't add that nice lit area. I think this shows a sign of quality for Tesla, and I'm curious why you think they removed this. Uh, I would also think you'd want that so you could see where you're putting the charger into in uh, dimly lit or dark areas. Thank you very much. Honestly, Matt, I don't have a great theory here. My best thought is that because the Model 3 port, uh, well, all the ports, but but because that that charging port will be different in different territories around the world to accommodate different charging standards, that lit up T will be a more universal thing and also make that plate that that mounts in that uh, charging port simpler to to manufacture probably and just, just simpler in general, which inherently makes it easier to manufacture and, uh, you know, might not be a lot cheaper, but you blow that out over the course of hundreds of thousands of cars per year around the world, and it adds up pretty quickly. All right, that'll do it for the Ride the Lightning Hotline. Again, I already know I've got a few calls waiting for me uh, that I still haven't gotten to, but I welcome you anytime, especially 
I'm going to be on vacation, doing the show from vacation next week. So uh, more calls always helps in case it ends up being a slow news week. I've got all of plenty of fodder. But yeah, if, you've, if there's something on, the, on your mind that's Tesla-related that you want to talk about, give me a ring. Like I said, either record the question on your phone and email me the file to teslapodcast at gmail.com or fire up the Tesla Ride the Lightning hotline, uh, which is a toll-free number, 1-888-989-8752. Be right back to wrap things up for you right after this. All right, before I go, I want to mention abstractocean.com. They've got uh, fun Tesla accessories for you and your car, whether it's the silicone key fob pockets for the S and the X. They've got screen protectors for your Model S and Model X to, uh, you know, if you're, if you're doing a ludicrous launch, you got a uh, cup of coffee in the cup holder, eh, you don't want that to splash on, <laughs> directly on the screen. A, uh, a screen protector might not be the worst thing there, plus their LED lighting kits and other stuff. And they're offering 20% off of your order if you are a Ride the Lightning listener, just use the coupon code RTL Podcast at checkout for that. Uh, let's see here. Patreon. If you appreciate the podcast, uh, you'd like to consider supporting it, please visit my Patreon page, which is patreon.com, P A T R E O N, patreon.com slash Tesla Podcast, and take a look at that. I would be very grateful if you did so. In fact, the Patreon producers, I want to mention them now. They are the very kind souls who support me at the $20 level or higher each and every month. And they are Jeff Bartram, Paul Hussey, DJ Harbaugh, Pete White, Wolfgang Obergen, George Cassioppo, ZL Klein, David Brander, Jonathan Wales, Scott Gillis, Michael Lucas, Alexi Heft, Lisa Kaz, Michael O'Prey, Logan Willis, Matthew Parra, Michael Lester, Robert Maracle, Vince Vaughn, John Lasher, Harold Plug, Jason Chalukas, Emotion Rentals, Richard Ouellette, Andreas Cohen, and Sean Fournier. Thank you all so much. You can find me on Twitter at DMC underscore Ryan. Uh, let's see, uh, anything else? Ah, referral code. Yes, Gordon in Hawaii. If you would like to purchase a Tesla, if that is in your plans, meaning an S or an X specifically, this does not apply to the Model 3s, get yourself $1,000 off of that car and free unlimited lifetime supercharging. Use the referral code GORDON1872. So if you type TS dot, uh, pardon me, let me try that again, TS.LA slash GORDON1872 into your web browser, that'll get you all set up and ready to order your car with that discount and that supercharging applied to it. Subscribe to the podcast if you do not do so already. That way it's delivered to you automatically rather than you having to seek it out. You can subscribe on most major podcast services, including iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, or uh, grab individual shows or the RSS feed for the show at the hosting website, which is teslapodcast.libsyn, L-I-B-S-Y-N, Dot com. All right, I am off to the airport. I'm going to hop on a plane and hit uh, go see the family in New Jersey. So East Coast listeners, I'm coming out your way. Uh, looking forward to being in that neck of the woods. I don't get the privilege too often. Uh, I'm very, very much looking forward to eating some Taylor ham, 
some uh, giant slices of pizza, as I mentioned earlier. So it's going to be a, a fun week for me. But again, I'll be doing a show out there next week for you. So look for the podcast. Barring any like sort of Wi-Fi disaster or, or something else, but I'm bringing all the gear I need with me. So look for the show at its usual time next week. And uh, I will be uh, a year older. Well, not a year older, only a week older. But yeah, I've got a, got a birthday to tick off while I'm out there. Should be a fun week. I'm looking forward to it. But I also look forward to getting back with you here on the uh, Ride the Lightning podcast at the usual time next week. So in the meantime, happy electric motoring, everybody.